This is Mary Catherine Boucher. She is part of our Rancho Christian School administrative team, and she's not here to talk necessarily about the school, but about kids. Uh, This is a whole series on being forever young, and we're talking about the young generations and about how we can be young at heart as well. So when we started this whole thing, I thought about you first. And you you were on our schedule about a month before you even knew it. Uh, Because when we think about kids, um, I mean, your heart for children is contagious. We met about three years ago. And you talked about this incredible passion for kids, not just their education. A lot of times you hear educators, which you, lifelong educator, uh, they think about, you know, kind of academics, but you think about kids first, relationship first. Why is that? Well, a lot of reasons actually, but I think it just starts, you know, as a child when I was growing up, you know, a lot of people poured into me, my mom and, and dad, you know, they always put kids first. And that was kind of the model that I was raised up in is, you know, Kids are these precious gifts from God, right? I always, I believe that they are just, you know, they come right from heaven. They're little angels right on earth. And, um, and so I was just surrounded by people who always put kids first. When I went into education, you know, I was blessed to be able to work with someone that that was her philosophy. You know, she put kids first in education when a lot of people didn't. A lot of people put other things first. And so um, I just try to live my life that way because they deserve it. You know, they're innocent. They're young. Um, let's keep them little. Let's make their life full of joy and full of wonder and excitement um, and put them first because they deserve it, you know. They do deserve it. And, you know, knowing your dad as well, your dad's a lifelong educator and you're a lifelong educator. So it, it's in the blood, it's in the bones <laughs> that we're putting kids first. And you live that out even with your own kids. You've got three wonderful kids. Yes. They're all very young. They are. You're four, busy. almost three, and one. <laughs> that is a very busy household. Pray for the Boucher household. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> um, but you're, as an educator, your, the initial tendency is to say, okay, it's about the schooling, right? Yeah. And it is. I mean, you send your kids to school, you want them to learn something, right? But you lead with fun. Yes. Yeah. When, when we first met, you said, I want kids to have fun. I want kids to love to go to school and have a blast when they're here. So outside of school, though, why is it so important that we have fun with kids? Yeah, well... I mean, a lot of studies show, and those of you that have been around kids just know, kids like to play. They like to imagine. They like to have fun. And um, it's just, it's so important. It's so good. I I think I told the story last time, but this morning, my daughter, you know, woke up very early, as almost (laughs) three-year-olds do, and she wanted to draw and was trying to figure out how to draw a rectangle. And um, I don't know how many of you have drawn rectangles lately. It's not that exciting, right? Four little lines. But in the eyes of an almost three-year-old, it was the most exciting thing in the entire world. And for me, even though I was exhausted this morning, I got to see the world through her eyes and I got to get excited about a rectangle, which (laughs) is cool. I mean, it it just kept me young. It kept me grounded. It kept me thinking like, okay, yes, the world is crazy right now. Everything is crazy. I'm tired. It's very early, but I get to see a rectangle through the eyes of of an almost three-year-old and it was beautiful. She was so excited. It made her day that she figured out how to draw a rectangle and and that joy is contagious. And why not want to be around that joy all the time and feel that joy, you know, through kids. I mean, God just blessed them so much and we get to feel his joy and his love just, you know, by looking at a rectangle or looking at dirt for the first time or things like that, you know, like they just make everything so wonderful and beautiful. And that helps us as well because when we get old, what's now called adulting, right? I love that. I I, I really love it because it kind of says, all right, you're adulting. It's almost like 
you've lost your your childhood yeah. wonder, yeah. and we've got to fight that because we the do. the adult world is at times you know serious. You've got to provide for your family. There's bills. There's schedules. There's responsibilities. So sometimes we can get a little stale, and that adulting kind of results in a life that's not full of joy and wonder and fun, right? right? So getting with kids, playing with kids, whether yeah. they're your own kids, your grandkids, right. or kids in the community, yeah. you know, just get out there and, and, and have fun. I know. We talked about that. Like, even, you know, at the grocery store, when I'm at the store with my kids, my son is very much like my husband. He will talk to everyone and anybody um, and loves to start a conversation. And it's just all the adults and, you know, that that engage with him when we're in the grocery store. If he comes and wants to show you this new dinosaur he just bought, the adults that talk to him and engage, like they just pour, whether they know it or not, they just pour God's love right into his little heart. And he gets so happy and so excited because, you know, someone is interested in his dinosaur. Maybe that person's totally not interested in this dinosaur, but they, <laughs> you know, pretending. they pretended and yeah. they they fed into him and, um, you know, just poured poured into him. And that's so important, I think, to... It is. And it's really easy to just kind of ignore is, Harrison, yeah. right? Just, yeah. you're walking down the aisle and you got your things to yeah, do, you right? Yeah, your to-do list going. You're adulting. Going on. Yeah, you're adulting. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but, but, to, but to look at a child who's playing with some little thing, yeah. to be able to engage that with parents' permission. Yeah. Well, yeah. Don't be creepy. <laughs> don't be, don't be creepy. Uh, if you're taking notes, don't be creepy. But to notice the kids around the community. Notice kids in your neighborhood, right? They're not the bother of your neighborhood. These are just treasures of God that we'll see here a little bit later, right? And we see that in Jesus as, as well, that he wanted the kids to come to him. Yeah. And, and that shows us the heart of God, right? right? Yeah. For, for kids. And how does that impact our relationship with God? Yeah, I mean, it was funny, there's little kids over here earlier, and it just, I mean, I feel like it just kind of brings you closer to God when yeah. you're with them. You know, they're little innocent faces. They, the world is this really big place and it's full of joy and love. And, and those are all the things that Jesus wants us to feel, right? Love towards one another and, and kindness towards one another. And it just comes so naturally to kids. And, um, you know, we get to, we get reminded of that every day when we're with them and get to engage with them. And, and let's, you know, let's keep that with them longer. You know, I feel like the world wants kids to just get old so fast nowadays. And if we can keep that innocence and that love, um, you know, it just comes so naturally to them. And and what a great gift for us as adults when we're adulting. (laughs) Well, it does keep us forever young too, just to be there with them. And and it's a a lot of complication to try to keep kids young because social media is pulling kids into adulthood, I mean, faster than ever. Lots of responsibility and pressure, whether it's sports or school. Mm -hmm. And some of that is part of the process of becoming an adult. But I think we just have to kind of think and pause Say, are we robbing kids of childhood maybe a little too early? Yeah. And then are we robbing us of childhood as well? Right. You know? yeah. So we'll be talking about that this, this uh, month. So yeah. thank you so much, yeah, course, Mary Catherine. Yeah. Appreciate it. Thanks for being here. <laughs> There's uh, another saying that um, is in our school circles as well, that uh, playing is the language of children. Thank you, Matthew. And by the way, let's welcome Matthew to the team. He's our newest member of our tech team. And... Um, he does a, a fantastic job. I mean, all the lighting and stage is him, and he did all the tech for Homecoming and Friday night, and then all the tech for the dance last night, and, th- and then he's here today. Just killing it. So thank you very much. That's right. We appreciate you, buddy. All right. Forever young. Forever young. Let that kind of soak into your brain, seep into your heart, this vision of being forever young. It's not just about age, as we talked about, Right? Some of the youngest people I know are in their 80s because they've got that spirit of youth. Some of the oldest people I know are in their 20s because they're crotchety and negative and grumpy, right? This is not about age. This is about that that real state of mind and heart that says, yes, we are going to prioritize young people. 
but we're, all, all, we're also going to prioritize being young at heart. Psalm 170, uh, 127.3 says this simply, children are a gift from God. Isn't that great? Super simple. Children are a gift from God. And God doesn't give gifts that get old in about a week, right? You get something for your birthday, something for Christmas. Oh, this is really cool. Use it. And then you just forget about it. That is not a gift from God. A gift from God is eternal. And I love how Mary Catherine said it, that these are angels directly from heaven. These young kids, they haven't been kind of corrupted by the world around them. Uh, They haven't been jaded. They're not cynical yet. They're just living. They're living large. They're smiling. They're welcoming. They're embracing the world around them. They're learning all kinds of new things. They're gifts from God. The other reality about a gift from God is that it comes with an investment because this is a treasure. It's a gift from God that is a treasure. You can see through the life and ministry of Jesus that you can argue there's nothing more valuable than children. Nothing more valuable than children. They're serious business to God. So I'm going to get serious for a minute because Jesus got serious about children here in Matthew chapter 18, verse 6. This is a pretty heavy-duty passage here about kids. Jesus noticed that The culture of ancient Palestine was not treating kids very well. They were not honoring children. They were shoving children to the side, even hurting children. So here's what Jesus said. If anyone causes one of these little ones to stumble, it would be better for him to have a large millstone hung around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Jesus doesn't get threatening very often. But you mess with kids, he'll be on you. Now, this is hyperbole. You know what a hyperbole is? It's a massive exaggeration to prove a serious point. Jesus spoke in hyperbole all the time. I think hyperbole is the language of heaven, right? Big exaggerations, and I am prone to speak in hyperbole, and sometimes people are correcting me for that. Hey, you got a little much there. It's like, it's just the language of Jesus. Do not bother me about this. So he speaks in broad exaggeration. So it's not like God is going to actually tie a 4,000-pound rock around your neck and toss you into the depths of the sea. Jesus is just simply saying, I'm serious here. Do not harm kids. Jesus spoke in hyperbole in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, if your right hand causes you to stumble, what? Cut it off. So he's not advocating amputating your own hand. Or if your eye causes you to stumble, what? Pluck it out. Kind of gross. It's hyperbole to prove a very serious point. So Jesus says, kids are serious business. So let me get serious for a few minutes. If you harm a child, if you harm a child in any way, you need to stop and you need to get help. Maybe you harm a child because of your own abuse. Maybe you harm a child because you've got some anger issues. You have some, some problems with yourself that lash out with the most vulnerable among us and that is children. Get help. Call us, call a therapist. We have got armies of people to help people who are struggling. Do not harm a child. If you say terrible things to your kids, Maybe because terrible things were said to you when you were a kid, things that are demeaning. You're bringing shame upon them. You're threatening them. You're verbally abusing children. You have got to stop. And again, that might come from patterns that you experienced in your past. That can stop. That cycle can stop. You don't have to pour those into children. You can get help. Call us. Set up an appointment. Call a therapist. We have we have a we launched a, 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 a therapy ministry here called Safe Harbor Counseling. They have wonderful therapists. You can get help. Do not harm children. If you yell at children, let's talk. Take a rough guess. What percentage of uh, parents admit to yelling at their kids? Just take a wild guess. Yeah, it's 
98% admit it, <laughs> which means there's a couple percent uh, probably lying about it. So this is out of the Journal of Marriage and Family. This was done a little while ago, but it's got to hold true. 90% of parents admit to yelling at their children. And let me just tell you, it is completely understandable. Yelling at children is completely understandable because no doubt they frustrate you every bit as much as you frustrated your parents and they probably yelled at you at times, right? Some of you probably more than others. Different people have different temperaments and so yelling just happens in households. It just happens. In this article in the Journal of Marriage and Family, it says this, a couple of quotes. Yelling overpowers children, especially when they're young, right? Overpowers them. Here you are this big adult and you've got a big voice and an imposing frame and you're their parents so you have all the authority in the world and you're yelling at kids. It can really overwhelm them, overpower them, make them feel frustrated and angry. And what can happen, again, a quote, is that after a while, kids become immune to being yelled at. So at some point, you yell, you yell, you, you yell. At some point, it doesn't even mean anything anymore. And now they're a little older and they're a little bigger. And so they start staring you down and the yelling has no impact. And so you might yell a little more to try to get you know, them to react to you, to take you seriously. And it's just kind of a cycle that frankly doesn't do anything positive. There is zero indication, zero indication that yelling does anything good for anyone unless there's a piano falling from the sky that's about to strike them dead. There are only rare times where yelling actually does any good, but really never in the context of a family relationship, whether it's parents to kids or, or um, you know, mom and dad to each other, it doesn't do any good. Yelling can also make the parent feel worse. One parent said, quote, I feel sad and out of control when I'm yelling and I'm mad at myself. When we yell, we are really not heard. Any words coming out of our mouth aren't heard. It's just the shouting. It's just this noise coming at us. It doesn't do any good. So a couple things about this, and I'm really wanting to be gracious here because virtually 100% of parents yell at their kids at times, some more frequently. Some families have generation upon generation of yelling and yelling and yelling. You know, one passing it on to the next generation, it becomes an art form, right? And so I understand it. I understand the frustration of being a parent. I understand yelling is ubiquitous. It's everywhere. It's all over the place. But let me just tell you this. You don't have to yell. You don't have to yell at anybody about anything. You don't have to do it. Now, I grew up in a household of yelling. Um, I remember some of my earliest childhood memories were terrible things being screamed at by my uh, parents. And so I understand growing up in a household of yelling. I understand a culture of yelling, shouting, throwing things. I mean, I, I was in a household that was fairly dysfunctional. So I get it. When I met my wife and I uh, understood that she was born to be a mom and we were gonna have a bunch of kids and I didn't feel as though I had the tools to be an effective parent. I just didn't think much was kind of passed on to me. And so I didn't think I had much to give to my kids. So I had to make some commitments in my own head about what kind of person I'm going to be to my wife, what kind of dad I'm going to be to my kids. And uh, there was a lot going on up here that I had to deal with before I got married and before I had kids. One of the commitments I made, and this is just personal to me, is that I, I would never yell at my wife and never yell at my kids. And I'm, I'm telling you, it has been a difficult journey at times. But in 28 years of marriage, I've never raised my voice to my wife once. She's never raised her voice to me once. 24 years of parenting, I've never yelled at my kids. They've never yelled at me. I'm saying that because that's the only thing in life I have mastered. I have mastered nothing else. I'm not kidding. That's not hyperbole. I've mastered nothing else in life. 
We could talk for 16 days straight about all the things I'm really working hard on, all the things that I've got to improve, but I have mastered only one thing in life, and that's it, is that I don't yell. I want to yell. <laughs> uh, let's just say something happens. I'm just pulling a story out of the air. Let's just say um, I got a new truck. I was out of town, and someone in my family caved in the side of my new truck before I even got to drive it once. Let's just say that happened. <laughs> just pulling a story. I mean, you want <laughs> to... I didn't have a day with that thing, hypothetically. Um, I talked to the person who hypothetically might have done that after last service, and um, she said, you know, I told you about that in a large group <laughs> setting. So, you know, you, anyway, very strategic there. But I, you want to yell at times, right? Because your kids didn't do their chores for the hundredth time in a row. They broke the thing, and they just did something dumb, and they didn't make their bed, and, or they disrespected you. Listen, I understand the the want to yell. And I also understand the, the reflex of yelling because it is physiological. Yelling, I think, is mostly physiological. And here's how it happens. There's a stimulus, a chemical reaction, and yelling. It is physiological. The stimulus is caving in the side of a truck before I got to drive it, right? That's the stimulus. There's an immediate release of adrenaline. It's a chemical thing. Floods your body and you are fight or flight. I feel it right here in my chest. And that usually results in yelling as you've got this stimulus, adrenaline and yelling. It's just, and it happens like that, right? So how can we stop yelling over time, right? Give yourself a break. Be patient. Everybody does it. It's one of those zones, right? Uh, studies indicate that kind of yelling on occasion, as long as you're not real harmful with your yelling, doesn't really have a negative impact on kids or their parents but perhaps we can make a goal to yell less and to stop it at the physiology. A stimulus happens. You hear a big crash. You know, your kid just did something dumb again, careless, a big crash. You're going to feel it. I feel it here. Some people feel it in their gut. Some people feel the adrenaline and tingling in their whole body. When you feel it, stop it at that point, right? And for me, I feel it and I just breathe. Just breathe. I just pause and breathe. Just breathe, Treadway. Just breathe. And that let that chemical just kind of work itself through. Uh, what we say on occasion around here is rush and flush. Rush of chemicals, they'll flush out of your body. It takes 20 minutes. Count it. It takes 20 minutes. The rush of adrenaline, give it 20 minutes. It is completely out of your body. And now you can say, hey, can we talk about that truck situation? You know? And you're a little more even. Then you're not hurting each other with words or, or yelling in imposing ways. Proverbs 15.4 puts it this way. Gentle words are a tree of life but an angry tongue crushes the spirit. That's particularly true of children when they're, when they're young. You know, it's understandable we can be frustrated. It's understandable there's a rush of chemicals. It's understandable there could be yelling, but that kind of angry tongue crushes the spirit. Now an apology helps, a hug helps, all that helps, but let's maybe walk a journey of yelling less because these kids in particular are treasures of God. They're treasures of God. So children are a treasure to God. Let's treat them that way. Let's treat them that way. Jesus showed us just how much of a treasure children are to God in several interactions in the New Testament, but I like this one in particular in Luke chapter 18. Jesus is really at the top of his ministry, top of his game, right? He has got thousands, maybe tens of thousands of people following him from the north and the south. He is known as a man of great wisdom, of great power, this incredibly freeing message of God's grace and love and forgiveness, this image of the kingdom of heaven being established here on the earth, and tons of people, thousands of people flocking to him. And all these families are wanting to bring their kids to him. 
Some of it was about a formality. At the time, it was a formal thing for a, um, let's say, a, a person of esteem to lay hands on a child, maybe pray for the child, hold the child. So there were things that were kind of formal. But there's also some informality about this as well, as children were kind of flocking to Jesus just to be around Jesus. But the disciples, the followers of Jesus, were essentially following the norms of ancient Palestine, which says children are a bother. The only people that cared about kids were the parents of the actual kids. Everybody else was a bother. And that was just culturally the way it was. Adults were the only ones taken seriously in the public squares. Kids that were running around were considered to be annoyances. And so the disciples did what they were expected to do, and that is protect Jesus from the children. Because the children would have got in there and they would have walked by the adults and they would have kind of made a mess and they would have distracted Jesus. And, and no, Jesus, right? The rabbi Jesus, the esteemed one, cannot be bothered with children. The master, Jesus, cannot be bothered with children. The Lord Jesus, the fullness of divinity, the one who holds the power of heaven itself, he cannot be bothered with children. People were bringing children to Jesus to have him hold them and pray for them. When the disciples saw this, they rebuked the children. Get away from them. They rejected the children. Keep them at a distance. But Jesus called the children to him and said, let the children come to me and do not hinder them for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Isn't that cool? So the scene is... hundreds, maybe thousands of people around Jesus, and, and, and he's doing all the adulting, right? He's teaching, and he's guiding, and he's discipling, right? He, he's, he's imparting the kingdom of heaven to the world, and yet all these kids are around the edges, and the disciples are saying, no, 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 and Jesus essentially pushes aside the adults and says, let the children come here. Let them come here. He welcomed them. Children were not an interruption. They were not pestering Jesus. Jesus put his focus on children. And so we should as well, right? As followers of Jesus, as the church of Jesus, we should have that same kind of priority. But in church life, it is kind of hit or miss. Sometimes, you know, churches are kind of bowing to the wishes of the adults because the adults pay the bills or whatever. And so the children are kind of put to the sides. We can't do that. Even to the point of reversing this, How about a church community that says, yeah, you know, we will minister to, care for, teach adults, connect adults, you know, empower adults to advance the mission of Christ. But can we also say the mission of Christ is the children and youth? And and for us adults to be able to say, you know what, we'll go without this little thing. Let's give this to the kids. Let's give the children the best. Let's welcome the children. Let's create this environment for kids, right? That they can come and be welcomed and they can be played with and they can have a blast because that's what Jesus wanted with the children. That's what he wanted to participate in. That's what we should want as well. Some good news for Rancho is we've been around for 52 years, and I could say from experience, because I've been here all 52 years, minus one, we are a church about kids. We're a church about kids. When I was about 11 years old, give or take, uh, we lived about two blocks from the original church campus. And my household, as I mentioned, was, was fairly dysfunctional. And uh, this was a hillbilly community. It was just dairy farms everywhere, one stop sign, and that's about it. That's called Rancho California at the time. There was nothing to do, nothing to do, except that church, Rancho Community Church on the hill, opened their doors on Tuesday to kids. So I rode my bike there, walked in the door, and there was a ton of adults 
playing with kids. And where did we meet? Did we meet in some dingy, dark, nasty little youth room in the corner of the church? No, we met in the sanctuary. Remember when these places used to be called sanctuaries? The sanctuary. This was like the Holy of Holies. And it was brand new. It was just built. And Rancho at the time was, a, was an older, traditional church. I mean, they had hymnals. You don't even know what a hymnal is. There's hymnals and a song leader waving their arms with a robe. I mean, that was the old Rancho church, right? And yet they opened their sanctuary to middle school kids. And what did we do? On the altar, folding our hands? No, we played. We played dodgeball. We played basketball. We played floor hockey. We played over the line. Anything you could possibly play. The chairs were cleared out, and we just played. Now, when it came to the Bible study, I would ditch and go away. But eventually, I began to realize that these adults really do care for us. I began to be thankful that, wow, they're opening this beautiful, I mean, best campus in the valley at the time. And, and they're inviting kids into play. So I started hearing the message. I started staying around. I started saying to my friends, hey, we're going into this little Bible study thing. Why don't we stick around? Because I was so impressed with the idea of being loved and accepted and cared for by these people. They didn't know me. I wasn't in their family. They just decided to serve the kids of the community in that way. And so uh, over time, I got kind of roped into leadership and youth group. I was asked to lead middle school. And I said, sure, I'll do it temporarily, right? But then I got hooked. And so I, my whole career path was turned to youth. I was a youth pastor. Um, Steve Solomon was at Sunridge. I was here and we did youth ministry for 15 years as friends and partners. And um, we still use that sanctuary for a lot of stuff. We uh, had a lot of fun in that sanctuary. We built an aerial ropes course. We drilled holes in all the rafters and we built an aerial ropes course 25 feet above the sanctuary and kids were playing up there in the rafters. They had harnesses on. It was safe-ish. Uh, we built rock walls in the back. We shot off rockets inside the sanctuary. We had motorcycles in there that scarred up and just skid marks on all the sanctuary carpet. Uh, one time we used the holy hand-carved communion table as a platform for a game. I, I mean, I thought I was gonna lose my job. Elder said, why don't you just not do that again, but have fun? Seriously, it was incredible what we were able to do in that sanctuary. And we made a mess. I mean, you go there right now. It's still, it's right up the hill over there. I can show you the scars of 15 years of ministry in that sanctuary. We've always been about the kids. Always been about the kids. And then what we did as a youth group is we said, hey, there's this older church. They need a lot of uh, help from us. And so we were able to buy all the technology, the youth group bought the sound system, lighting system, video system for the big church. We brought in modern music to that church. And the youth group began to change the church to become younger, to have this forever young kind of mentality. And I'm saying, telling you the same thing's happening right now. We, and I'm talking about us old people, I got gray hair here and it's getting north. It's gonna take over this whole thing at some point, I've heard. So I need the help from younger people. I need the help from our youth. I need the help from our young adults. I love kind of gathering pockets of young adults. Tell us how to engage with this culture today. That's how we're gonna be forever young and stay forever young. Jesus said, don't hinder the children. The kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. We've got to be about the kids because a lot of the world, I think, has them kind of marginalized as we do all of our adulting. And there's a lot of serious adulting to, to be had, right? I mean, we have got jobs and bills and we've got politics and we've got global affairs and we've got news to watch and we've got opinions to have, right? There's a lot of serious things happening. So sometimes kids can sort of be at the margin Jesus says, let them come. And have you ever seen children who are held back to play? Have you ever seen them when gates are up and you go, they are running and they are excited. That's how they came to Jesus. 
Disciples are holding them back and Jesus says, let them come, all right. And here they come flocking to Jesus. And that invitation is still very much alive today. We need to be a community and we are a community that allows children to flock to Jesus, allows youth to flock to Jesus, not to religion, not to church, but to Jesus. And where is Jesus lived out? Where is the love of Christ? It's in us. We need to have the children flock to us because Jesus is in us by his spirit. We are the presence of Jesus here in this community. So we've got to have the value that Jesus had towards the next generation, the children, the youth, the young adults. But it's not just about the young generation and age. It's about what Jesus said next, that the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. The kingdom of heaven doesn't just belong to the young of age. It belongs to the young at heart. So what does it mean to be young at heart? Three things came to my mind. Humility is one. To be humble like a child. Children are very humble, especially when they're younger. They kind of get a little arrogant, what, about the age of 13, nine? (laughs) But when they're young, they're humble, right? They know they have a lot to learn. Mary Catherine's two-year-old learned rectangles this morning. That's really cool, right? They know they have a lot to learn. And when they do learn something, their eyes are wide open. They're very excited about that, right? That's what it means to be humble. When we do all of our adulting, there's not much humility in that. Our brains literally get harder as we get older. And that's not only physiological, that is metaphorical. We get to be harder people the older we get. And so we kind of define victory as well. You know, um, uh, I'm a this, I believe that. I'm a Republican, I'm a Democrat. This is my politics, this is my beliefs, this is my religion, this is, and, and we just get stuck and we get rigid as though we have nothing more to learn. We have nothing more to learn. That's not being such as a child. We need to be humble. We need to say, you know what? I know nothing. I've got to tell you, the more I believe I know nothing, the better off I am, truly. Now, there's a couple things I hold on to. I hold on to following Jesus. I hold on to the word of God reveals Jesus. I hold on to some things that are really my life, but I'm not going to hold on to much more. Because the longer I live, the more I know I don't know. And the more I realize that being humble like a child with so much to learn is a much better place to be. You're less angry, you're less frumpy, you're less judgy, right? And you start really learning to love life when we realize we're humble. Similarly, being open. Children are open. They're open to all kinds of new ideas. I still have a a youngish one at home in middle school and almost every day she'll come home from school and say, did you know, she just discovered some cool thing about science, about how the earth works, about history, about geography, about the cosmos. Did you know? And she's like, very excited. I learned something new at school. That's really cool. Like, hey, and she's just got this excitement and wonder. She's open to learning, right? We need to be open to learning, open to growing, open to read something outside the box, open to an opinion that someone else has. If someone is different than you and believes something different politically or religiously, get to know them, ask them questions, learn from them. Don't have this hard-brained adult kind of, you know, hardness about you that just doesn't want to learn or be open to new ideas. Learn and grow, experience the wonder of openness and then trust. When Jesus said, let the kids come, they just flocked to Jesus. They just ran to Jesus. They just trusted Jesus. And this is something I've got to work on a lot because I could tend to be in my own head quite a bit. Uh, I tend to be a little bit cynical. I do a lot of eye rolling. You know, I've been around church world a lot. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
I've got, to, I've got to be more open to the simplicity of just simply following Jesus, the childlike wonder of following Jesus. Because I've got a lot of questions in here. Sometimes I've got a lot of doubts in here. Sometimes I'll read something, even in God's Word, and go, I, I struggle. I just struggle a lot with stuff, just the stuff of the metaphysical, of the invisible, right? For me to trust is to trust Jesus and have him be the very center of my life in a very simple and childlike way. Just enjoy following Jesus. And the other stuff then just becomes kind of this playground. It's a playground of ideas. It's a playground of God's word. It's a playground of just learning from other people. But the solid, you know, rudder of my life is the simple trust. I trust Jesus like a child. So I want to encourage you to welcome, prioritize, play with, teach, and care for children. It starts in your own home with your own kids and grandkids but it might go beyond that. Just how you interact with neighborhood kids. They're not a bother in your neighborhood. They're treasures of God. How do you interact with them? Can you get to know the kids and young people in your neighborhood? When you're walking around town, how do you engage with children and young people? You know, sometimes we just go right by them as though they don't even exist. As Mary Catherine said, when Harrison engages, this little Harrison engages an adult in the grocery store, his eyes light up, right? How do we engage children and young people just around town? Do we take them seriously? What's up? And they'll make fun of you for saying what's up. But engage them. Look them in the eye. Take them seriously. Write their treasures of God. And then stay forever young. Stay forever young. I love what the psalmist says in Psalm 71, 18. Now that I am old and gray, don't just let me go. I want to talk about your power with this new generation. So here's this older psalmist, right? Gray hair getting old. He says, I don't want to fade. I don't want to just fade away. I want to be in the game with this new generation. I don't care how old you are in this room. Don't fade away from the new generation. Engage them. Little pitch, forgive me, volunteer with children's ministry and youth ministry. We've got this amazing like movement of kids and youth going on here. We had more kids on Wednesday night than we had pre-COVID. We had more kids, uh, youth on Wednesday night than we had pre-COVID. And we don't quite have enough adults. I promise you, this series wasn't invented to get you to sign up for <laughs> children and youth. But if it so happens that a couple of you sign up, we will take you. And that will help keep you forever young. The more you play with kids, learn from kids, be around kids, uh, the better you'll be. The more alive you will feel. So here's what's coming up at Rancho. Uh, we are remodeling a whole new youth room for Sunday mornings um, next door. We're, we're remodeling a whole new children's room next door for children. Wednesdays, we just gave this campus, uh, this building to youth. They get the best tech, the best venue. Uh, Wednesdays, we'll take over the entire West Campus for children. Two of the best, biggest rooms with the best, biggest tech for children. Giving the kids our best is what we've done for 52 years, and we will keep doing that. Uh, we are about to embark on an incredible journey of building what we're calling Central Park. And I'm just giving you a few ideas. These are very early, uh, but I think some things like this are going to come. Uh, just really cool um, kind of ropes areas and obviously play areas for kids of all ages. I think we're going to make this happen. We're, we're this close. It's a 50-foot tall, five-story tall climbing um, structure, rope structure, no harnesses, no ropes, 50 feet tall. I read an article that it was safe. <laughs> but we're going to send the kids up first to see. 
We're going to build not so spacey, but something like that outside, a big mound, all kinds of slides going on. It's, we are going to have so much fun out there. And let me tell you this. Central Park is not only going to be for children. It's going to be for us as well. My vision around here, and this might just be crazy. My vision around here is that Sunday mornings is a youth group for youth and a youth group for adults. That we come with our kids, and whether you have kids or not, we just come and we are kind of childlike, and we say we are going to come to this place and we are going to enjoy our walk with God. We're going to enjoy just running to Jesus and trusting in Jesus and following Jesus. We're going to enjoy pouring into the next generation. So have great food out there, tons of shade areas. Thank God for that. We've been waiting a long time for that. Kids areas, youth areas, basketball, sand, volleyball courts. And it's going to be open on Sundays, just open to the community. And the community, I'm very sure, is going to enjoy that whole place. It's open on Sundays. And three times a Sunday morning, we're just going to happen to have worship services in here. Come here if you want. Come inside if you want. Don't if you want. Let's just come here and play together and celebrate together, enjoy God together. Some will stay out there all morning. Some will come in here. All good. Let's play. Let's play with kids. Let's prioritize kids. And let's play as adults. Let's enjoy this place. There's a lot of serious things going out there in the world. And I don't want to minimize that. There are serious issues and serious priorities, serious biblical priorities out there. But I'm telling you, when Jesus says, let the kids come, and by the way, being childlike is for all of you. Let's have that experience here on Sunday mornings and Wednesday mornings, and let's pour this out wherever we happen to go throughout the week. Does that sound like fun? 